ReachMD XM157 presents a special series, Insights in Future Medicine. What are the top agenda items for the American College of Surgeons in 2008 and beyond? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment on the future of medicine. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Thomas Russell, the Executive Director of the American College of Surgeons. Prior to his leadership role at the American College of Surgeons, Dr. Russell was Chairman of the Department of Surgery at California Pacific Medical Center and Professor of Surgery at the University of California at San Francisco. Dr. Russell is well known as a consensus builder and an innovative thinker who is taking the college in directions that will help to ensure that surgeons can practice in an optimal and ethical environment and that outcomes for and the safety of surgical patients will continue to be both safeguarded and improved. Welcome, Dr. Russell. Well, nice to be with you, Mark. Today we are discussing the future of the American College of Surgeons. Well, Dr. Russell, what is the American College of Surgeons and what does it represent and what do you plan to do as the leader? The American College of Surgeons is an organization that's been in existence since 1915. It was founded here in Chicago and it was founded to you know, improve the quality of surgical care, which really wasn't very much in 1915. And I think we have evolved as the science of medicine evolved and as the art of medicine into an organization now that basically has two components. On one side of the ledger, we are a professional association. We educate surgeons with respect to new procedures, new techniques, new ways of doing things, the ethical aspects of practice, being a professional, how to communicate, how to work within systems, all the things that's expected of a surgeon or of a primary care doctor in 2008. On the other side of the ledger, we're also a trade association. So we're a professional association, and we're also, in this day and age, have to be a trade association. And what do you mean by that, Well, by that, I mean we have to look out for the interests of surgeons. For example, the issues that are very important for all of us, not just surgeons, are issues of reimbursement, certainly issues of liability exposure and being sued, and also issues around regulation. You know, we're told we have to do this, we can't do that. And so what we're trying to do is to balance the professional side with standing up for the rights of our members. It's a tricky business. It used to be much more focused more on the professional aspects, but today we have an office in Washington. We're actually building a very nice building in Washington because more and more of the issues will be decided by government in Washington or at the state level at the capitals, and we have to be there. We have to be at the table. Well, what role does the American College of Surgeons have in governmental decisions? Well, we have to know what's going on. I mean, the government can make decisions, but they have to have input. So it's our job to make certain that we know what's going on in Washington. For example, when they're debating a bill that may have profound influence on the practice of surgery or the practice of primary care or whatever, we need to know about that. And if it's going in the right direction, we need to support it. If it's something that has to do with liability reform, we think these are good measures, we're going to be there supporting it. And we have lobbyists and other groups have lobbyists. Likewise, there may be things that come up that we feel are really detrimental to the profession. I mean, the thing that's playing out right now in late 2007 is this pending cut of 10.1% in the Medicare reimbursement. Now, if that happens, 
if 10% is taken away on the reimbursement from the conversion factor, every other private insurer will do it. So it won't just be Medicare. It will be the private insurers as well. So it will be another 10% cut. It really isn't 10%. It's more like 12 or 13% if you add in inflation and the cost of living and all that. Can the American College of Surgeons do anything to uh, prevent that? We can certainly have a voice. And can we do it ourselves? Absolutely not. But if we come together, and this is one of the directions that I'm trying to you know, get everybody to understand, we have to start coming together. We cannot live in these silos that we've lived in. The primary care doctors cannot live in their silo, and we can't live in our silo. And we have all these silos. You know, We've got the cardiologists and the gastroenterologists, and we've got the bariatric surgeons, and we've got the breast surgeons, we've got the orthopedic surgeons. And everybody has been looking out for their own interests, which has been fine. I mean, I don't have any trouble with that. But now as we get into a much more regulated environment with much more oversight and the need to practice in certain ways that we're not used to doing, it's becoming, to me anyway, absolutely clear that doing this thing on our own is not the way we're going to make advances. We have to start thinking more collaboratively, and we have to be more collective in our thinking. Well, how can we foster that collaboration? Well, we have to realize, Mark, that we can't answer these questions on our own. I mean, that we cannot solve, for example the reimbursement issue, that we have to join forces with the American Medical Association, with the American College of Physicians, the American Academy of Family Physicians, the American Osteopathic Association. We're all in this together. And as the house of medicine, if you will, or the house of surgery, we have to go with a joined agenda and come together and go forward with what we think is best, not for us, but what is best for patients and patient care. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to build bridges with other groups that perhaps we have had controversies and that we have not built good, solid relationships in the past. If you have just joined us, you are listening to a special segment on the future of medicine. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, professor of surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Thomas Russell, the executive director of the American College of Surgeons. We are discussing the future of the American College of Surgeons. Dr. Russell, there seems to be a certain disdain of organized medicine among the young physicians coming out, both surgeons and primary care physicians. Can you comment on that? Yes, I can, Mark. I mean, I think younger people perhaps are not joiners the way maybe an older group of physicians, whether they be primary care or surgeons, were. So I think today that the challenge for us at the college and other organizations, we have to absolutely show to the young people that we can add value, that we have things that they absolutely will have to have in their practice. We need to convince them of this when they're residents, when they're in training, and we need to offer them programs and opportunities to become active in our organization. So therefore, we need to shift more to the younger people and get them more involved in the college and show them that if they're going to practice for 30 years, they're going to have to have all these, I call them tickets, all these things that they're going to have to have, educational activities and validation of this and validation of that, they're going to have to have these things in order to get a state license, in order to be recertified by the various boards. The hospitals are going to require this in a way that they never did before. I mean, hospital privileging was pretty loose in my era. I mean, I was head of surgery for a number of years at our hospitals, and we didn't have a very stringent way of keeping track of what people were doing and where they should be privileged and credentialed. And I think that's going to get tighter as we go into a much more, at least we predict, a more regulated environment. So what we have to do, Mark, is we've got to show to the young people, yeah, we know you don't want to join. We know you have a lot of other things. You've got a more balanced life than we had. It's not all about medicine. It's other things in your life, and that's great. But 
in order to practice, we're going to give you some real important tools, educational tools, and research tools, and outcomes tools that you're going to need to be a competent and competitive surgeon in the 21st century. And that's going to be the future of these organizations. And we're working on that. And we're trying to add, you know, real things of value so that as a surgeon, you're not left out. And you got to realize that with this technology, it's driving all of this together. And so we've got to make certain as surgeons that we have the tickets that a surgeon needs in order to practice in a hospital where there may be radiologists or invasive cardiologists who can do the same procedures. Well, we can't disadvantage ourselves. We've got to make sure that our people have those tickets. Dr. Russell, there was a recent article in JAMA by Dr. Joseph Fisher called The Impending Disappearance of the General Surgeon, which really was a bit depressing for uh, those of us in general surgery. Could you comment on that? Well, I think the article points out that there's this geographical issue that not many general surgeons are going into the rural communities because they don't have much exposure to general surgery as a resident. They rotate on the vascular service and then they rotate on the colorectal service so that everything is split up for them in all these very specific specialties. And then, of course, when they get into the, if they go into practice in a city, which has been their exposure as a resident, they just generally migrate into one area of surgery or another, orthopedics, whether it be the specialties or within general surgery, they do transplant, they may do vascular, so on. So that the old-time general surgeon that did everything is being replaced in large part in the cities by specialists. And then, of course, the appeal of the rural surgeon isn't particularly there anymore. So it's a real issue. But this is what individuals have decided. This hasn't been mandated from above by boards or anything like that. This is what the individuals have elected to do. And I might add, Mark, that this is not just an issue that's unique to surgery. The same thing is happening in medicine. In what way? Well, no one's going into general internal medicine. I mean, I just spent time with my colleagues at the American College of Physicians, and I have close colleagues at the Academy of Family Physicians and also at the osteopathic group, and most of their graduates go into specialties so that we have a disappearance of the general internist or the general family doctor because of the luring away into these various specialties. So it's across the board. Another big issue, of course, is the reimbursement. And frequently, reimbursement is better today for the specialists than it is for some of the, the generalists. And that, of course, is another sort of carrot that's driving people in one direction as opposed to the other. Does the American College of Surgeons take a role in this? We've actually started a very active group that's looking at rural surgery and looking at the joys and challenges of being a surgeon in a rural community under, say, depends on how you define rural, but say under 50,000, maybe under 100,000, in that sort of a setting. We have courses and we have seminars and we have sort of town hall meetings bringing the surgeons together so we can hear what their issues are and what some of their problems are about recruiting new people or referring outside of their community to the bigger cities and what's expected as far as you know potential liability issues. So I think we have a better appreciation today of, of this practice than we had in the past. Dr. Russell, how many surgeons are in the American College of Surgeons and what percent of the practicing surgeons in the United States are members of the college? Well, we have about 74,000 members. So we're the largest surgical organization in the world by a significant number. About 4,500 of our members are international members. So we have surgeons in South America and many in Canada. It was formed by surgeons of Canada and the United States. But we have them all over the world. We have them in Iraq and Iran and, and everywhere. What percentage? I'd say in the United States, probably if you take all of surgery and you include in that like ophthalmologists and orthopedists, we probably have around 50% of the surgeons in the United States are members of the college. But if you take other specific areas like general surgery, it's much, much higher. We're probably up around 
80-85%. Plastic surgeons, most plastic surgeons, 90% are members of the college. Urologists, very high number. Otolaryngologists, head and neck surgeons, very high number. Where we really fade out is in things like obstetrics, gynecology, orthopedics, and ophthalmology, but they have such strong, you know, specialty societies that most of those specialists go to those groups as opposed to the college. I want to thank Dr. Thomas Russell, who has been our guest. We have been discussing the future of the American College of Surgeons. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and you have been listening to a special segment on the future of medicine on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to check out our website at www.reachmd.com, which now features on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to a special series, Insights in Future Medicine on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals.